Thanks for joining us today at the Vine Church. We're one church with two locations and reaching around the world with the help of our online service. We exist to connect the world to Jesus Christ. If you'd like to partner with us in doing that, you can share this service with others and give by clicking the link below. For now, prepare your heart for some incredible worship and an inspiring message.
church. You good? It's great to be with you guys this morning as we wrap up a series that we've uh, been in throughout the summer. Kind of hard to believe that we're already done with summer. Can I get a yay from the parents? And uh, or, Okay, a few of y'all. And then uh, I, I hear the, the moaning from all the students. Sorry about that. Uh, some of you already started back this past week, those that are in Jefferson City Schools. So we had a couple of students already go back, Jackson County this week, and then Gwinnett and Hall the next. So uh, we're praying for y'all um, as we get into that. For those of you that I haven't met, my name is David Walters. I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here at the Vine Church, and it is a privilege to be with y'all today. I was absent last week hosting over at our Flowery Branch campus, and so it was good to be over there with them. But anytime I'm away, I miss you guys, and it's great to be back with y'all. And today we're going to wrap up this series by talking about the last words that Jesus shared with his followers before um, he uh, went back uh, to... Uh, to heaven. And um, if you're new to church, that might sound like an awkward phrase to you. And so uh, let me just kind of share with you that, that uh, we're all about Jesus here at the Vine Church. And we believe that Jesus was God in the flesh, as crazy as that sounds, that he lived a perfect life, died on the cross, came back from the dead. And then um, after some time of kind of hanging out with his followers after he came back from the dead, that he actually went back to live in heaven, and then he still lives in heaven. So, hey, welcome to the Vine, where we believe some crazy things. But it's awesome stuff, and it is transformative stuff, and we're kind of wrapping up this series by taking a look at Jesus' last words to his followers before he went back to heaven. And we kind of call that the Great Commission. Everybody say commission. Yeah, uh, the Great Commission. And we're going to talk about the difference um, in, in uh, understanding what a commission is, especially compared to what we talked about two weeks ago, if you were here, when we talked about the Great Command. Um, and Jesus gave uh, his followers great commands uh, to follow. Um, and actually, there was one, but it was an inclusion of two together. And that was to love God 
with everything that you've got. Love other people as you love yourself. Growing up as a kid and now as a parent of kids, I've learned that there is a major difference between commands and commissions. Um, basically, the difference between a command and a commission is one is one thing that you've got to do and one is one thing that you get to do. And as a kid or, or just kind of like being around kids, you recognize there is a major difference between the things that you've got to do and the things that you get to do. The things that you've got to do, sometimes there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Uh, and when it comes to the things that you get to do, there's usually excitement and joy that comes about from it. And uh, I, I realized this as a kid growing up, you know, when it came to like chores around the house, I didn't have a whole lot of chores, um, but those kind of simple chores that my parents gave me. And they said, basically, you have all week to complete them. Uh, that was no big deal because I had the authority. Those were the things that I, I um, had the opportunity to do on my timetable and on my schedule when I wanted to do them. And then there were those moments where they delegated a responsibility to me, something that I had to do, something that I got to do. And uh, they told me when I had to do it by and, uh, and then all of a sudden, there was some reluctance on my part, some resistance on my part. Same is true today as a parent of kids. Um, I was telling the 915 that, and uh, my dad came up to me um, after the early service, and he said, hey, I just I resonated with what you were saying. He said, when I was a kid, I was going to surprise my mom by mowing the yard. And um, when I got home from school, I was going to go straight out there. But before I went out there, she said, you've got to go mow the yard. And then all of a sudden, I didn't want to do it. You know, and that's what happens. That's what happens. And so sometimes when we talk about great commands, we go, ah, these are things that I've got to do. But what we're going to find is that today, Jesus leaves us with something that we get to do. Now, the great commandment to love God and love others as you love yourself, that's not a bad thing. We'd all say that's a great thing, but we'd also say, you know, sometimes when it comes to the commands of God, things that we've got to obey, sometimes that's challenging for us. In this series, we've been talking about how life is like a race, and, um, and the way that we need to think about commands, especially the great commandments of God, is that those are our two um, kind of lanes that we, lines of lanes that we run in. And so in a race of faith and in the race of life, we've got these lanes, we've got these boundaries that we can operate in. And, the, and loving God and loving other people as we love ourselves, that, that's our lane. That, that's the boundary that we run in. But what we're going to find today is that um, with the commission that Jesus gives all of his followers, that's our priority. That's the aim of our race. And we're going to see that today um, in Jesus' last words to his followers. They're going to be found in Mark chapter 16. So if you've brought your Bible or you've got a Bible app, I'm going to invite you to go with me to Mark chapter 16. Um, you know that if you've been following along with our summer reading plan with the bookmark and you checked that off and you've been putting stuff on social media, you know that just prior to what we're going to be reading today, is the death of Jesus Christ, which we believe uh, was to be a substitute for our sin, and then his resurrection from the dead that came um, on the third day after he died. And so this is after Jesus has come back from the dead. Um, we're going to pick up in verse 14 of Mark chapter 6. And you might note that if you've got your Bible or your Bible app, that there's an editor's comment just above verse 9. And then you see some brackets where these verses are bracketed off. And the editor's comment says that some of the earliest manuscripts don't include the verses that we're going to read today. And so um, scholars have been able to track down the earliest documents or, or manuscripts from the Bible, uh, both Old Testament and New Testament. In fact, from just a literary, like academic perspective, there's more validity in the Bible than any other piece of literature that has ever existed in the history of literature, which is pretty awesome. But those earliest manuscripts that they were found, and Mark was believed to be one of the earliest gospels that was written, it doesn't include some of these verses that we're going to read today. 
And so you might be asking, well, why is it in the Bible if it didn't include it in the earliest manuscripts? Because there are later manuscripts that have it. That's number one. But number two is that these um, words that we're going to read today, they're not in conflict in any way with any of the other endings of the gospel story. So they don't contradict them. And that's a great way to understand scripture. It's to take a look at what else the scriptures say. And so if you're having a hard time understanding some passages of Scripture or maybe some verses of Scripture, check out what the other verses of Scripture say. And if they're in alignment with um, the other Scripture that, that you find, then that's a good interpretation that you can have from that. Another thing that we know about this is that the earliest church, the earliest followers of Jesus, um, the ones closest to the original followers of Jesus, they adopted this as being authoritative in their life. And so when you're ever questioning scripture, always go back to what other scripture says, make sure that it's in alignment, and then go back to that earliest church and say, did they believe this? And if they believe this, then that's a good interpretation for your own personal study. That's a side note, that's free. Didn't include in what we're talking about today. But we get to what we're talking about today after Jesus has come back from the dead, beginning with verse 14. The editor says right above that, the Great Commission. Afterward, he, that's Jesus, and after the resurrection, he appeared to the 11 themselves. There's one disciple that had a little problem during the, the three days that Jesus was dead. Um, that's another sermon for another day. You can read about it in your own Bibles. Um, so he shows up to the 11 as they were reclining at the table, and he rebuked them, not for their reclining, but for their unbelief and their hardness of heart because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes them and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. It means separated from God for all of eternity. And those signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And they will drink any deadly poison. Uh, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoke to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And the verse 20 is really important. Listen to this. And they went out, those are the disciples, and they went out and preached everywhere. Where did they preach? Everywhere. While the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. And so today we just wanted to find out who the true believers were. So our ushers have snakes they're going to bring out. We're just going to pass them along and see. No, I'm joking. Some of you maybe first timers, you're like, what have I gotten myself into? No, we're not going to do that. We're not that type of church. There are some churches you got to drive about an hour north. You can find some of them. Well, there they might do that, but not here. So anyway, um, somebody thought that was funny. That was awesome. <laughs> so what Jesus gives us here is a great commission. It's his last word. It's not a command. It's a commission. It's something that we get to do. It's not something that we got to do. It's something that we get to do. It is, it is our mission. But before we get to Jesus's commission, we actually have a correction from Jesus. If you're taking notes, you might want to write that down. Before we get the commission of Jesus, we have a correction of Jesus. And so Jesus shows up on the scene to his disciples and they're lounging around. All right. Now I don't think Jesus had anything against rest. In fact, we know that Jesus rested. We know that Jesus was an advocate for rest. In fact, if you've been with us during this series, we spent a whole Sunday talking about Jesus resting. So Jesus is all about you having a lazy boy. Okay, men, you have permission from Jesus to go out and get one today. All right. He's not rebuking them, which is a correction because they're reclining. 
he corrects them because of their disbelief in the resurrection. He's not rebuking them because they're reclining. He rebukes them because they don't believe in the resurrection um, in the way that it had been told to them. And, and I can't really blame them. I mean, to be honest, I think if we were a part of that original group of guys that were the closest followers of Jesus, that might be kind of hard for us to believe too, especially when we haven't seen it with our own eyes yet that Jesus came back from the dead. The reason is because dead things typically don't come back to life, right? I mean, can we all agree with that, that typically dead things don't come back to life? Now, there are some exceptions to that. Um, in fact, this week, um, my, uh, a, f- a group of, um, well, a friend of our, our um, family and our kind of sports network that we've grown up with on Wednesday night, um, one of our friends had a heart attack. Um, he, he, his heart stopped beating three times before he was placed on table for surgery. I was with the family until about 2 a.m. Wednesday night. Um, the doctor came out and said, um, that the, his heart stopped beating so many times on the table that they weren't able to count it. They just like lost count. And so there's like, there are some exceptions, you know, somebody's heart stops and they're brought back to life, um, you know, there, there are some missionary friends of mine who have been in parts of the world that you and I will probably never go to where they have testified that they have seen dead people come back to life. Uh, but again, I haven't been there. I trust them. And so if they say they've seen it, then I, I trust that, but it's still kind of hard to believe. Um, so I kind of get where they're coming from and maybe you get where they're coming from too. Because we're not just talking about somebody who, whose heart stops and we're immediately able to do CPR or put some you know, um, defibrillators on them and, and kind of bring them back. We're not talking about that. We're talking about a guy who um, was seen dead and has been in a tomb for three days. And um, typically things that are dead for three days don't come back to life. But not only that, the testimony of those who had seen him at this point was coming from women. And uh, 2,000 years ago, this was a big deal because women's voices weren't appreciated and valued in the same way that they're valued today. So the only testimony to the fact that Jesus has come back is from the voice of, of a group of people, women back in those days that, that didn't have a whole lot of credibility in their speech. And so I, I can't really blame them, and maybe you can't blame them too, and yet Jesus corrects them. And I think that, um, I think that Jesus, if he were to show up today, like in this gathering or maybe just in churches in general in America, he, he might correct us too. And before he sends us out, I think he might correct us too. Because I think in a lot of ways that we kind of take on the same picture that Jesus finds his disciples in is that we're just kind of reclining in our faith. We're just kind of lounging in our faith. Um, we might say that we believe in the resurrection, but are we really living a life that reflects the resurrection? My guess is that most of you probably grew up in church. My guess is that most of you, you probably know that and, and celebrate it at least once a year at Easter, you know, this, this resurrection of Jesus, that you would say you probably believe in the resurrection of Jesus. The question is whether our lives reflect that or not, or are we reclining in our faith? I mean, because people that see a resurrection and believe in a resurrection, they're probably going to be out looking for a resurrected Jesus or where Jesus is on the move. What I do know is that regardless of like looking for Jesus and where Jesus is on the move is that people who have believed in a resurrection are going to share that good news. I've been getting updates since Wednesday from, um, from the family, from team um, parents who've been up there. In fact, right before our 915 service, uh, I got an update and the, the first two words were great news. 
And there were, it was an update on, on our friend who had a heart attack and nearly died and, and actually did die and then came back. It's, it's great news. And, and it was great news from what happened. That's what, that's what we do when something out of the ordinary happens. We share great news. And, and that's what Jesus is expecting of his followers here, is that they would believe and then they would share the good news but yet they don't believe. And this is Jesus we're talking about. You know, and, and with Jesus, nothing is normal. He expects them to believe because with Jesus, nothing is normal. In fact, with Jesus, all things are possible, even dead things coming back to life. So during Jesus' ministry, he brought dead things back to life. He brought a young woman back to life. He, he, brought, um, he brought one of his best friends named Lazarus back to life after he had been dead for four days. That's pretty amazing. Then he even talked about how he was going to come back from the dead and how that was a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy that was hundreds and thousands of years old, that there would be a Messiah, a God in the flesh, a king, sovereign king, who would die and then come back from the dead. Like he talked about that and he said that that was going to happen to him. So they shouldn't be surprised that, that there would be testimony. And then the testimony of the women, like Jesus, he broke all kinds of like social standards back in the day, and he still is. And one of those was the role of women. And, and Jesus crossed over boundaries with women and gave like endorsement to them, authority to them. In fact, on one occasion, Jesus is having a conversation with a woman at a time that he shouldn't have been having a conversation with a woman and with the type of woman. She was a Samaritan, and those were kind of in opposition to the Hebrew people. And so, so there was this weird like crossing of the boundaries there, and she recognizes that Jesus is the Messiah, so she goes back to her town, and she is actually one of the first evangelists, somebody who shares the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. And so Jesus gives credibility to women. And so because with Jesus, like nothing is normal and all things are possible. And because Jesus has given authority to women, like they should have believed. And for us, I think we should believe too. Like believe in the truest sense of the word, what believing in a resurrection means so that we would not recline, but that we would be active in what we've got to do and what we get to do. Um, yeah, I fear that we kind of live as what um, another pastor calls practical atheists. A practical atheist is a person who says that they believe in God, but practically speaking, their lives don't indicate it. Like there's no way of knowing that a person believes in God, and so it's called practical atheism. I'm pretty sure Jesus, before he would send us out, would say, hey, let me, let me correct you. Before, we, before I commission you, let me correct you. And it's always a gentle, it's always a kind, it's always a kind um, rebuke, but it is a correction nevertheless. And so many of us, as if we're in this room, we just need a kind rebuking. We need a kind correction this morning that if we say we believe in the resurrection, that we behave like we believe in the resurrection. And then once we have that correction, then we get the commission. And Jesus' commission is this. It's very simple. It's go and proclaim. It's to go and proclaim. And this commission in the Gospel of Mark, it's the same as the other commissions in all of the other accounts of Jesus's life, death and resurrection. Uh, there's some varying language when it comes to what we're called to do when we go, but in all of them, it says to go. And some of the places it gets very specific, like in Matthew, he says, go into all nations. That means um, the Greek word is ethne. It's uh, all ethnic groups to go into all ethnic groups and make disciples. Um, in, in Mark, it says to go into all the world. Um, 
in Luke's account, which is actually found in Acts, he says, hey, to go into Jerusalem, which would have been like their neighborhood, so to go into your neighborhood and, and then go into Judea and Samaria, which would have been like the region that surrounds their neighborhood, maybe like Atlanta and, and neighboring communities for us, and then go to the ends of the earth. And those are the nations. And that's why we as a church, we actually have trips planned for next summer. If you're interested in just a couple of weeks, we're going to have another uh, GO meeting. That means global outreach meeting that you can find out about our trips to Nicaragua and Mozambique for next year. We're called to go. That's the same. The word proclaim there is very specific to Mark. And that's where I want to hang out with for the remainder of our time. Because the word proclaim, it's a verb, obviously. It means to proclaim. It means to, to share or to herald. It's in the Greek form, it's kariso. Everybody say kariso. But it comes from a root word, which is a noun, and that's carex. Everybody say carex. And carex used here in the earliest manuscripts has a capitalized K, which means that it has a different understanding than a generic kind of herald, uh, somebody who could go and herald anything to talk about whatever you love talking about to other people. This comes from an official position. And so when Jesus gives us a commission to go and to proclaim, he gives with it an official position of being a herald with a capitalized H you get an official position. Now, let me tell you a couple of things about the official positions back then of a herald. A herald. A herald was a position of high honor because you were a dignitary. You were considered a dignitary. You were part of a royal court. You belonged to and you worked directly for a king or an emperor. You can't get a higher position than that. And yet it's also a position of humility because when you proclaim things, you're not proclaiming your own greatness or your performance. You're pointing back to the glory of the king or the emperor. Not only that, it was a position, an official position of peace because everywhere that the herald went, who was about to proclaim a message pointing back to the glory of the king or the emperor, it was uh, accompanied with the protection of the government, with the protection, the direct protection of the king and the emperor. So when you walked into a territory, there was immediate peace, even if there was war or tumult or, or conflict between nations. You walked in, and because you had the protection of your king, you were able to negotiate peace talks with the person that you were addressing. And then finally, it was a position that had only one message, and it was the message that was given directly from the king or the emperor to the herald. And so I want you to get this, because that's the context of that word that was used 2,000 years ago, one that is kind of lost on us 2,000 years later. So I want to bring back to the fact that if you're a follower of Jesus, you have been given the authority of an official herald. You've been given that authority. This is something that you get to do as you love God, love others, love self. You get to go wherever you go and proclaim, be a herald. And that means that this is a position of high honor because it's not just any king or emperor that we're talking about. We're talking about the creator king, the sovereign king, the king of kings, and the Lord of lords. You get to be an agent of peace to where when we're talking about the things that we're equipped with, we're equipped with peace that we get to go and negotiate peace talks with, peace talks between people and God and people with people. 
And not only that, we've got one message. It's a simple message. We are not to deviate from it. And it's this message, John 3.16, football in 35 days. We'll remind you of this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. We've simplified that here at the Vine. Not that it needs simplifying, but in an easy way for you to remember what our one message is. And it is this. God loved, God gave, we believe, we receive. God loved, God gave, we believe, we receive. You say it with me. God loved, God gave, we believe, we receive. It's that simple. This is the one message. And this is what the Bible calls the great or good news. And you and I, we get to do this. This is our mission. It is our aim. And while we're running this race of faith and this race of life, we've got our lanes, our boundaries to always love God and to love others as we love ourselves. We've got to stay in our lane. But our aim is the commission. It's the authority that we've been given. And when you're running wherever you go, I, I wish Jesus had just said, hey, wherever you go, because I think it's, that's what he means. He doesn't mean, hey, like you've got to make a plan to go. You got to make a plan to go. It's just basically wherever you go in the world, you proclaim. When you go and you proclaim, God promises to go with you. In fact, that's the last point for our message this morning, is that Jesus' commission is actually a co-mission. Jesus' commission is actually a co-mission. There's two parts to that. There's what you do, and there's what God does. And God promises the manifestation of his power in our lives when we will go wherever we go with the purpose of the proclamation of the good news. God loved, God gave, we believe, we receive. In Matthew's gospel, he says, wherever you go, I'll be with you. In Mark's gospel, we read it in verse 20. After he sends into heaven, the Lord worked with them. The Lord worked with them and accompanied what they were saying with signs. In other words, accompanied their proclamation with his power. Because what happens in people's life when they believe the resurrection, removed 2,000 years later, is that it is God's power at work in them that transforms their lives forever for the better. This is the promise when we'll go wherever we go with the aim of proclaiming the gospel. I got a text a couple of weeks ago from a good buddy of mine. He actually co-leads a group of middle schoolers with me at Vine Youth. And he sent me a text, and his text message said, um, I just led a person to faith in Jesus Christ for the first time. It was his first time leading a person into a relationship with God. And I was like, man, that is awesome. Send me the details. And so he sent me the details. He was at work. So what that means is you're a minister wherever you go, all right? You have authority as a herald wherever you go. Students, next week or in two weeks, like when you go to school, you're a minister at school. Adults, when you go to work tomorrow morning, yeah, you're a minister wherever you go. He was at work and started having a conversation around baptism. And the question was, does baptism save you? Like, are you saved when you're baptized? And, and if you read the Bible, the Bible is very clear that baptism follows salvation, but that it doesn't, um, 
earn us salvation. In other words, we're not made right with God through getting into a baptismal tank and being dunked. And so um, the young man in our church just unpacked the gospel very clearly to him and said that we are saved when we trust Jesus as Lord and Savior of our life. We are saved when we trust Jesus as the forgiver of our sins and the leader of our life. And then right there at the workplace, could you believe this? At the workplace, he led his coworker in a prayer to trust Jesus as Lord and Savior of our life. Like that is awesome, yeah. And then he said something else. He expressed a feeling that he had never felt before in life. The feeling that he had was amazing. The feeling that she had was amazing. And that's the power of God. There is nothing like the power of God. And we are promised the power of God when we proclaim. So wherever you go from here, wherever you go tomorrow or in two weeks, wherever you go, make it your aim to share the good news of Jesus Christ, to believe the resurrection in a way like you behave the resurrection. I'm gonna give you a couple of opportunities to respond to today's message. Uh, one would be that if you've never before trusted in Jesus and Jesus alone, to be the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life and to have the assurance of an eternal relationship with God in heaven one day and the promise of having God live with you right now today, today you'll be able to respond and trust Jesus as Lord and Savior. Maybe you already have, but you've been living that kind of practical atheistic life where you believe the resurrection, you just don't behave like you believe in the resurrection. Maybe today you just need to confess that to God and say, hey God, Hey, I believe, just help me behave like I believe. To where the, the boundary is love God, love others, love self. The aim is to proclaim the good news. And, and then on your seat when you came in, you got one of these cards. Everybody grab one of these cards. Um, if you don't have it in your hand, you're probably sitting right on it. And that's not going to do you any good. So um, this is not for you. And this is not for your refrigerator. This is for someone else and someone else's refrigerator. Next week, we're beginning a four-week series called Tools for Life, where we're going to be taking a look at four of the major stresses in people's lives and what the Bible would have to say to that. And every week during this series, there's going to be a clear gospel presentation and a, and a chance for people to, to give their life to Jesus Christ. We give this to you not because this is like what we're asking you to proclaim. We think this might help you break some ice into spiritual conversations to say something along these lines. Hey, next week, my church is doing a series that I think would be really helpful. I'd love for you to come with me. And here's um, some information about it. And if you'll just do that, two things are likely to happen. Number one, that person is likely to accept your invitation to church. And number two, you're likely to be able to have a conversation where because you know four simple phrases, you can share with them the gospel. God loved, God gave, we believe, we receive. Some of y'all got that when I started saying it and so you were saying it with me. Let me try it again. God loved, God gave, we believe, we receive. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a fall!
Oh 